This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 63 of Real Blend, a podcast that understands, guys, that the real final four are the friends that we made along the way. My and Texas is- Tech! <laughs> My, and Michigan State, who knocked Duke off yes. by one point. Wait, what's the final four? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. No, I honestly, I could not tell you one team that's in the final four. I couldn't that's tell a, you that. I honestly don't know. I mean, I, listen, I understand the final four is a sports thing. When I went to George Mason, we were in the final four the year I graduated in 2006. It was the Cinderella story. That was a big year. run by that team, yes. Amazing. We, I'm, I'll never forget it. We beat UConn at Verizon Center. That went all the way to Indianapolis. Watched them lose to Florida, I believe. Uh, and then, yeah, so that's the final four I know. I don't Gabe's know. Gabe's having a heart attack because we have a team. heart out in this show, and we just took a five minute long venture into sports. <laughs> Gabe is just sweating bullets right now. Also, the reason we have a heart out is Kevin, and he's the one taking us down this road. Yeah. You know so. why I have a heart out? Because I got two episodes of Game of Thrones to watch. He, he has a heart out. Sleep. <laughs> he's going to watch sports. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. <laughs> And this is uh, this is crazy. I made a goal at the uh, about a month ago that I was going to watch 68 hours of Game of Thrones before April 14th. And Sean has the same goal as I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm on episode nine of I'm sorry, episode eight of season five. Yeah. John, you are episode four, four of season five. Four or five. It's a lot, dude. Think about how many hours of yeah. television you've oh, watched. Well, if you started <laughs> eight years ago, like the rest I of did. us. I did start eight years ago. I just stopped watching after season. I five regret not starting earlier. I'll say that much. I mean, I because really do X, wish. Part of the the X Factor experience, part of the experience that you can't replicate is uh, cliffhangers. You know that that moment after Reigns of Castamere, yeah. when everyone's screen cuts to black, and we as like fans were just went what? Well, at least those of us that didn't read the books were just like, oh my god! But wasn't that episode nine? It wasn't another episode after that. Yeah, but but. Yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying, yeah. but but I'm thankful to be able to go into the next ones. Like that's the beauty of, of streaming and the binge. We but haven't I even done t- introductions yet, by the way, Gabe. I know. I was just <laughs> thinking about this, by the way, Sean. We are going to get to live season eight, though, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. we are. We are. We are going to be able to have that week to week cliffhanger. That, and I cannot imagine right. having not caught up and then knowing who gets to the throne and then having to go back and watch everything again. I just can't, I can't do that. And you know that's happening. The season eight premiere is happening when we're all in Chicago, and I'm trying yeah. to get everyone to stay over no, until Monday. Yeah. Well, Jake, Jake, uh, to your point, I actually changed my flight, so I'm leaving earlier to get home so I can watch it with my brother-in-law. <laughs> then we're going to get home early and watch uh, the Game of Thrones season. You've been now. disinvited from the Hamilton, <laughs> Jake, Hamilton you, Game of Thrones watch party. Jake, if I stay later, will you hold me during it? <laughs> Only if you learn how to pronounce the name Daenerys. <laughs> Daenerys. <laughs> the the dragon, the everyone, dragon queen. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, but everyone go to YouTube and on Cinema Blend and watch. I have, I can't wait to watch They're it. So Sean's, good. oh, Sean's reaction Sean's to the reigns of Red Wedding. No, oh, it's fantastic. the Red Wedding episode. That's, that's that is was, reigns of Castamere. No, yeah. I know. I was, I was, I was, you know what's funny about that? I always thought it was called the Red Wedding. 
Yeah. And then I looked up and it's had an R. I'm like, oh, it's Red Wedding, right? And then Reigns of Castle. I, I want to just point out something really funny that in the show notes that I sent to Gabe, I said, very brief Game of Thrones talk. And Gabe <laughs> said, wait, Gabe said, I don't think that we could include that because if you guys start talking Game of Thrones, you're going to go so far off the rails. I said, that's fair. I knew this was going to be one fair. of those shows when we when we ventured into Final Four within the first 30 seconds. And we didn't even get to the intros. And we're By the way, so much Game of Thrones talk. One of the greatest episodes of television ever yeah. was the Battle of the Wall. Episode 9, Season 4. Jake. That's right. That blew my mind. My name is like, Sean O'Connell. I'm the <laughs> managing director here at Cinema Blend. And that's a this is a mercy intro for Gabe's soul. For his heart and his soul. Uh, this is Real Blend. I'm joined by Jake and Kevin. Say hello. Hi. What's up, guys? At once. We're, we're two. We no, can't we gotta go. Let's full, move. Let's move. Let's full move. intros. There are no full intros. Okay. So a bunch of things to tease. Later on in this episode, we have been having some amazing interviews Lately, and uh, if, if you're listening to this, I'm hoping that you listen every single week, which means that last week you listened to Kevin's uh, Danny Elfman interview on behalf of, so of good. the podcast. Seriously. It was, it was so great. Ke- yeah, Kevin, really. Yeah. As people who Thank you. We're, we all we do this and that because it wasn't an interview. It was just a, a conversation between two people who like are deeply in love with film. It was great. It was great. Well, and the, this the week, beauty of that is we only get four minutes generally for, for these press junket interviews. And you guys all know what it's like to have an extra four, 10, 15 minutes. It, it's, it, there's no pressure as to getting your questions front loaded. It's very, it's a lot looser. And we, how often do you get a composer? Well, right? I, it's funny. When I, when I used to have a radio show years ago, that's all I would talk to. Cinematographers right. and composers. Like that, that's... And directors. That's my that's my wheelhouse. Right. Well, later on, we're going to have director uh, David F. Sandberg, who directed Shazam, which is coming into theaters this week, uh, joined by Uber DC Extended Universe producer Peter Saffron, who's got his fingers into uh, most of the major DC hits leading up to Shazam and is helping to shape the DC universe moving forward. So you're going to want to stick around in this week's episode to listen to our interview with both David Sandberg and Peter Safran. Uh, It'll be really great about Shazam. And we did not put any spoilers into this conversation. So it's something you can listen to prior to going out to see Shazam. Also, in addition, we are about a week away, week and a half away from our Chicago meetup where the Real Blend guys are going to be getting together. In Chicago on Saturday, April 13th, uh, aiming for about 5 p.m., Central Time. Uh, we're going to announce the location this week, so stay tuned to our social channels. Uh, you can still RSVP for it at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Real Blend Chicago, or you can send Have an email. Have we decided where it's going to be? Uh, that's a game question. M- might I make a proposition that we pick a place where we could bring dogs? Oh, is that a thing? Like, are there bars in Chicago that you can bring dogs to? Oh, totally. Really? Yeah. Good. Then Daenerys should definitely come with us. Yes. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> That'd be a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, you can also RSVP to at, no, realblend at cinemablend.com and we'll put you down for the RSVP. Bring guests. Bring a friend. I mean, this isn't like a seated thing. It's just an open area that we're going to go hang out. And so the more people that come, the merrier. And Sean, when, when everyone walks through the door, they have to say, say the name. Solo? No. Oh, no. What? Oh, no. Shazago. <laughs> Is that what? a Chicago thing? 
Yeah, I was just saying Shazam. Oh, next oh my God. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I, many places. It's happened. He finally lost it. <laughs> you could have gone anywhere with that. <laughs> That's where you went. Oh All right. Yeah. Reviews. Hold on. Okay, so reviews. And we legitimately, Kevin, are you ready for this one? <laughs> oh, I can't wait. We legitimately have a review from Kevin's mom. The joke <laughs> being that wait, Kevin's mom. Wait. Yeah. Doesn't listen like, to the legit the a real review from Kevin's mom. So Kevin's mom and dad went to go see us. They're huge <laughs> movie fans, right? Like your parents are huge movie fans. They go once a week. Okay, so they went and saw us, and Kevin was texting us. This was on Kevin's birthday, actually. Was texting us um, their text reactions to the movie, which had some prof- <laughs> profanities in it. Yeah, <laughs> and then oh. his mom said, uh, "Did real blend with this? This moved my heart." Did Real Blend do an episode about us? And Kevin said, we did. So she went and listened to it, which makes me so happy because she's That also like kind of scared because Kevin and I were pretty combative in that episode. <laughs> so I'm a little concerned about we Kevin's were. mom listening to like someone like go after her son a little bit. That, that well, actually... Yeah. What's funny about that is my mom actually had a lot of questions about our debate. So she called me like uh, over the weekend <laughs> because my parents are going to see us again tomorrow because they're awesome. Um, and they are like, you know, I grew up in a household where we went to the movies all the time. Like, so like every week we went to the movies, like that was my payment for mowing the lawn. I remember seeing Die Hard 3 because of that. Um, but yeah, so us is a, is a, I know I love Die Hard 3. I don't care. Um, but yeah, so basically, you know, we joke every single week that the only listener we have on this show is my mom. Like, like it's, it's gotten to a point where we even made jokes that the people who met us in London yeah. were my mom in performance capture suits. Um, you know, that was all done through CGI. Uh, we joked about Danny Elfman actually being my mom uh, in the interview. Like it's, it's gotten to a point where my mom is essentially the, the butt of every joke of our listeners. So she actually did text me an actual review of our show. It's very short. She just said, quote, I just listened to the latest podcast of Real Space Blend. So she doesn't know that it's one word. I love you, mom. Uh, while I'm working, she said, I love it, exclamation point. You're all terrific, exclamation point. Aww. Your interview with Danny Elfman was amazing, considering how special his music is to you Aww. and Lauren. That's awesome. That's all she said. But so she called me over the weekend and, and you know, she was asking me about because she has a lot of questions about us as well. Now, one thing that I want to run by you guys before we move on, move on to the next review that about us that I found fascinating. And this is going to kind of play into Jake's theories and also my theories as well. I don't know if you saw the thread that Jordan Peele retweeted of a, uh, someone who saw the movie a second time and they, like, they just kept tweeting about different theories they had. Who do we learn in the movie that there is a government experiment that created the two bodies with one soul. Who says that line? Is it red? Yes. Okay. Okay. So if she says that, how is that something that she could definitively know? So my question is, and this is a business based on tweets. This is actually very interesting. So going into Jake's argument of us is that he doesn't buy a one sentence explanation as to how the clones were made. Sure. I have no problem buying that theory. I don't need to know the logistics. So according to that theory, that line, that would negate everything Jake has a problem with the film about. Because what you said last week on the podcast was, I would like the movie just to have been a doppelganger film that came up from the bottom. And that was the horror element of it. I didn't started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Right. I didn't need a simple explanation as to those 
as to how the clones were made. Either a simple explanation, Jake, or a full explanation. That's what you said, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So if Red is saying that to the other Lupita, how does Red know that information? She's been down there for... for you might say it makes no sense. No, no. My, po- my point is I- I'm trying to feed into what your, where, where your mindset was about worrying about that explanation. Right. The only person who tells us that a government experiment occurred is the person who's been down there for the last three years. Okay, so Gabe has seen it twice. Kevin, you've seen it three times, I believe, now, Yes. Okay, Gabe says, I believe she says it's a theory of her own, not definitive. Exactly. So then that goes into exactly what Jake said last week about the idea that... Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. How do we trust her? Yeah. Now, I'm still... my, My mom and I had a whole discussion about this. I'm still all in on the government experiment thing, but that is a very... And see, that's interesting because that actually makes me like it more because I like now because now we're leaning back more to the area of we oh, don't know it's open just ended, there, which yeah. I like right. more as yeah. opposed to yeah. giving us a half ass ver- version of an answer. Yeah. So if you think about it, Jordan Peele only gives you a slight explanation through a character who would not really know the answer. You'd That's, almost say he's not ready to Jordan reveal <laughs> the truth. Just, just, I'm just, just stop, Jake, does that man. alleviate some of the logistical <laughs> stuff for you? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I, I still think that, like, you guys are grasping at some straws, baby. But I will say that that, I, that does make me like it a little bit more. That's a good point. Yeah. So, but, but sometimes I genuinely can't tell if we are, mis- like, if we're confusing mistakes and cop-outs for genius. But that's an interesting thing if you it think is. about it. The, the only it is. reason it really we know is. it is that. That's it the is. only reason we know but it's like, a is, But is that like this brilliant grand part of a scheming plan or is it that he just didn't think it Okay, but wait. Okay, but, okay. I'll, I'll say this one last thing and then really we have to move on. I think that Jordan is smart enough since he thinks through every other element that Kevin points out because there 100%. are a lot of legitimately brilliant connections in the movie that I I have to believe he's smart enough to not overlook some of the things that bother Jake and I. I, I and do have to believe that. this goes back to what you said last week about a script being airtight. Yeah. I guarantee you that script was airtight. I guarantee and, you as an answer. To, and I guarantee you if, if, if we were to bring this up to him, he probably would point to that. How maybe. do you know it's a government experiment from an unreliable character? Eh, very true. Okay, we have another real review. Not Kevin's mom. Although Kevin's mom was a real review. Don't get me wrong. Uh, this is from MJ Stout 22 who says, uh, Real blend is the real deal. Give this podcast a shot. It's great banter, discussion, and debate. I listen to it while running, and the miles go away quickly. I stumbled upon this podcast after hearing Kevin on the Junkies radio show. It's nice to get more detailed commentary from him than just on the show on Fridays. This is not Kevin's mom, but I am eating <laughs> I am eating cheese pizza. Keep up the great work. Dunkirk uh, from wow. Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. That was, that was a, a really, I love when they fit in all the inside jokes. <laughs> there is some real And, that, and that, cheese pizza a is, a, is a deep pool. It's not yeah. it's not quite as 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 common as Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah, cheese pizza is like only like a two or three talked about moment on our show. <laughs> it is. Like, I mean, that's pretty deep. It's pretty good. I like it. All right, talking yeah. points. Uh, Ghostbusters casting is ramping up, which means that Jason Reitman is actually going to make this version of the film. And I am extremely intrigued by people that he's adding to the show, uh, to the movie. Uh, it, it seems like the main stars are going to be a family 
but we don't know exactly how they're being used in the story. Perhaps they are encountering some type of supernatural uh, that they need the Ghostbusters to re- re- react to. And it's looking like it's a mom and two kids. The mom uh, being played by Carrie Coon, who I know Jake is a huge fan of from The Leftovers. Also, she's yeah. uh, just a brilliant actress in general. Yeah. Um, and we flew and her- together the other day. Flew together the other day, and her children. Which is a cool story, by the way, because you didn't say anything to her, then you, and then she was cool enough to say hi to you afterwards. Right. Yeah. yeah. She was also she was in the post. She was in Gone Girl. What yeah. else is Carrie Coon really known for? She she's uh, in in Infinity War. She's oh, one of she uh, Thanos' uh, kids. Yeah, That's right. She's she great is. In Infinity the children War. of Thanos. Children she's of Thanos. Good in that. Um, and the other two kids who have been cast in it so far, kids, I say, but they're they're seasoned veterans of the screen. Uh, McKenna Grace who was most recently a young Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel, but she was also in that movie Gifted with Chris Evans. Which I loved. I love that movie. It is a very good movie. And then Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, um, who is also on the rise and is showing up in everything. He was in Stephen King's It, part one and part two. So, I mean, this is great casting. You know, like Regardless of, I, I, th- I think the original Ghostbusters are coming back, but even if they don't, I like this cast. I like where they're going. Do you guys have any thoughts on uh, the direction well, of this project? made a point to say that it exists in the original Ghostbusters universe, and I can't imagine why they would say that if they weren't bringing back the original Ghostbusters. That being right. said, a sh- a short of the, like Bill Murray and Dan um, and Ernie playing major roles, if they're right. just popping in for two seconds, right, right, this still then again just kind of feels like the Ghostbusters we got Unless they're all three of them are legit going to play major parts in the movie, which I just get the impression that they're not. Um, to me, I don't understand how this is really any different from the Ghostbusters that we got a couple of years ago. Yeah, I don't know. Um, does the fact that Jason Reitman's doing it make you feel better about it or no? Because his dad did the original, <laughs> not, not really. Not necessarily. A- any more so than like if Stephen King's son, who is a horror writer, um, you know, wrote a, a sequel to It. It right. wouldn't make you know just just because just because you're birthed from someone who did the original doesn't make me feel any better. Yeah, but you'd be in, you'd be interested in watching a Stephen King son sequel to it, wouldn't you? That'd be fascinating to think about like, but, what he did I from mean, that, right? I, I don't. To me, like uh, nepotism doesn't equate to yeah. Uh, doesn't it equate to equality? I, I mean, listen, I, I am I'm on a, a bit of a train right now of like. In, uh, of original content and how it's doing so well in Hollywood, um, especially when you have filmmakers like Nolan and Peele creating content that is solely original, yeah. no pun intended on the word solely. But the, you know the the idea that Tarantino. we can ha- we can ha- yeah exactly we can have filmmakers creating original content that does actually do well at the box office if it treats its audience as if they're smart. Think about think about the similarities between Nolan and Peele. Two guys, two filmmakers who believe in their audiences, that understand that their audiences are smart enough to understand their themes and, you know, not being spoon-fed everything. And I, I've, been, I've been getting a lot of people saying they, they're, they get angry when they walk out of something like Us or even Dunkirk, uh, where it doesn't give you every uh, emotion on a silver plate and hand it to you. Um, so I guess going back to Ghostbusters, for example, I don't see the need for it. I'm so... I, I, I'd rather see Jason do... Something original again. I mean, even if it's based on a book, like I mean, even even you know things like Juno and Thank You for Smoking. I don't, were those original or, or adaptations? 
Juno, Jun- and- Juno was original because it was Diablo it was Cody. Diablo Cody. Thank was you for thank- smoking was based on a book. Up in yeah. the air was based on a book. Right. But I mean, even if it's based on a book, based on a book, I'm fine with. If the movie hasn't been made yet and you want to turn it into a book, I mean, some of the greatest right. movies of all time, Godfather, for example, was made from a book. Wasn't yeah. Jaws a book? Yeah. Peter yeah. Jaws, yeah. Peter Bench. Yeah. So it's, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. I, I'm intrigued because it's Reitman, but I don't care. And I actually didn't mind Paul Feig's movie. Kind of liked it, to be honest. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Ghostbuster hater, but, you know, as somebody who grew up with Ghostbusters, I just yeah. don't feel it. There is to- an audience for it. Like, I don't understand yeah. the hatred of the, like, yeah, I grew up with the original Ghostbusters. So naturally, I'm not going to love this new team as much. But I know a lot of people whose kids loved this new Ghostbusters from a few years ago because yeah. they didn't really grow up with the original one. Like, and um, and, and yeah. who are we to rob people of that? I don't understand why people needed the joy sucked out of so many people's lives. Uh, PJ and I watched it on a Friday night because it showed up on one of the cable channels and he said, yeah. oh God, I, mean, I wanted to watch this. I said, okay, cool, let's watch it. He laughed his ass off. He thought Kate right. McKinnon was the funniest thing in the world. He doesn't, he doesn't watch Saturday Night Live, so he doesn't really know Kate McKinnon at all. And he was just so intrigued by how weird she was. Like, he just thought it was really funny. He has none of the baggage that came with being a fan right. of the franchise. Think of, yeah, think about us. Like, think about us, for example. Like, uh, the movie? As, no, no, as just us in general. Um, our, the movie, the thing, is John Carpenter's. Sure. People in the 50s or whatever, that was their the thing, right? Yeah. And then, like... There are yeah. remakes that have been better over the years. Um, I mean, even The Departed's a remake. I mean, like it, I mean, uh, most recently look at um, It the miniseries versus It the movie. I had so many people that when It the movie yeah. came out, they're like, "But I love the miniseries." I'm like, "They're, but they're different entities." Yeah, miniseries was actually fine. It's but yeah, but it's not Someday, someone's gonna remake a movie that we deeply, deeply care about. And I know. I know. Well, that's the thing. It's like, like, listen. Like if someone remade, like that's, that's the thing though. I don't think a filmmaker would have the b words yeah, to yeah. Um, <laughs> to re, to remake Jaws. The b words. Can you imagine somebody <laughs> actually remaking Jaws right now? No. Or Jurassic but Park. But here's the thing though: someone remaking a film does not take away from my enjoyment of the. I can think it's stupid. If so, if, yeah. if if this afternoon someone announced I'm remaking The Godfather, I'd go, "You're an idiot." But does, is, that's not going to take away from my enjoyment of The Godfather. Right. I right. just think that they're idiots. But it, it, it is fascinating. Like, like, you imagine somebody remaking The Matrix today. Like, wow. I, I feel like it, it wow. would be a, I, I probably wouldn't be too happy about that. And I, right. I know they just they, they did a 20-year anniversary of that movie, and it still holds yeah. up. Bill yesterday. Pokes. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary. You know what shot in that movie blows my mind is that upward shot looking up at the helicopter as the bullets are just flying down oh the minigun that yes. Keanu just like opened up that window yes. to get Morpheus out. Uh-huh. I mean, that that movie was so far ahead of his time. And I, I will defend Keanu Reeves until the day I die. I love that oh, guy. He's, he's perfect awesome. in that movie. I mean, he's awesome. But I know people are like, oh, he's, you know, he's not a great actor. I think he's amazing. He's um, great. But I know. But I will say this. It, it, it's it's almost very personal, right? All three of us, it's very personal. Yeah. What, what would offend us if it was remade? But to clarify... Jason's is not a remake. It's a it's a continuation. Yes. So so it's, it's not really a remake. So I, I'm I'm all I'm interested, but I don't really care. Right. We'll see. I, will yeah. I care? I mean, we'll I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Do you care that Mark Hamill is the new voice of Chucky? I, think awesome. I love it. I, I love, love it. Too. I love that. <laughs> this is going to be Jake and Kevin agreeing on the podcast for the whole podcast. This is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's weird. No, I actually am really excited about Mark Hamill. I read a story about that this morning. And because the people don't realize, I mean, I, obviously 
his fans know his Joker voice. Sure. Um, but he is an you know he's an amazing actor. I I, I loved. Um, oh my god, why am I blanking on it? It was my top ten of that year. Um, oh, Brigsby Bear. Brigsby Bear. Yeah, I love that movie with the the guy Kyle. Um, oh my god, why am I blanking on this? The guy from SNL, Kyle, Kyle Mooney. Kyle Mooney. Yeah, that was a great movie. I mean, he is. He's a great actor. I mean, yes. besides Last Jedi, I mean, I've always liked him in most most Star yeah. Wars films. And his and Joker is incredible. Um, yeah. I think Chucky's a good character for him to play. You know why? We won't see his face. Right. He's very famous. Very He'll famous. disappear. It's almost hard to watch him and not think of Luke Skywalker. But what, you know what's funny is that I, I'm curious as to how that movie's going to play today. Because I grew, I grew up watching horror movies. Yeah. I grew up watching horror movies as a kid. And even as a kid, Child's Play was always, to me, kind of the silly one. Yeah, because yeah, this okay. concept of, like, couldn't you just, like, kick the doll or, like, run away? And so I'm sort of curious as to how modern-day audiences in a world in which we're getting a lot smarter horror films, something like Us, are going to respond to – because there's not really a lot of ways to update. You can update it yeah. because it's because it's coming from an ABC miniseries, and so you can make it hard R, which well, they did. Well, Pet Cemetery, which we talk, which we'll talk about a little bit later, right. which it, I'm hearing is amazing. For. It's very yeah. good. Yeah, but yeah. Let, me, let me ask you this, and I'm I'm, I'm really hoping, but I may, maybe you already have the answer to this. Uh, one thing I love about the original Chucky was the practical effects in that thing and the animatronics. Uh, they're not going to go full CG on him, are they? They're they're, they're going to are they going to keep it? I don't know. He's not been shown. He hasn't been shown in the trailers. No, briefly, not yet. Like, like a like a faded shot of yeah, his face. But like not in motion. We haven't seen him in motion yet. You I can't, hope you, it's still don't a CG, CG that a, a doll. Yeah, an actual no. doll or a prop of some sort. That'd be That's great. like when they CG'd Leota. I mean, you can't, you can't do that, man. Because it needs to. Out. I mean, if you think about it, just in terms of the story, it needs to be a doll. Like it needs yeah. to have doll Holden. movements. Because yeah, like if, if it's too smooth, then it's not going to seem natural. Breaking no, news, actually, I just read this on on Cinema Blend. Um, the oh. Ch- Chucky doll will be yeah. played by the baby. From uh, American Sniper. Oh, good! Thank God. <laughs> yeah. I was worried so that that they're, baby they're, wasn't going to get more work. Yeah. So, and that's what I was hoping. Like, I think I think they, he had to take a break for a little bit, but now he's back. You know that's what I mean? Top quality reporting from Cinema <laughs> yeah, Blend right there. Yeah, yeah, it came from Sean O'Connell on Cinema Blend. I was like really impressed by that. Good job. Uh, there's a quick story about Clint uh, that I'll just go really fast about American Sniper. Um, Jay Moore, uh, the comedian who's from Saturday Night Live, he's in um, Hereafter uh, that he did with oh, yeah. Clint, and he has a scene. In a hallway with Matt Damon, where the two of them are having a very serious conversation, and the landlord is a woman who has to come out and um, like like look because their conversation is getting heated, and she opens the door and she looks out really briefly, and she doesn't say anything, um, and she closes the door, and then the scene kind of ends. And Jay Moore was telling this story on the radio about how this woman, who was an extra hired for the day, essentially, kept poking her head out and adding a line and making the scene about her kind of thing. And Clint would, you know, very graciously kind of go up and be like, oh, can you just do it the way that it's in the script? Like, you don't have to just come out, just look kind of thing. A couple more takes. Jay Moore's telling this great story. A couple more takes. The woman keeps coming out, keeps interrupting. Clint finally goes over and he says... If I could have just hired your arm, I would have hired your arm. <laughs> wow. So Clint, very economic with the way that he shoots things. And, and the ba- every time people talk about the baby, I always think about Jay Moore going back and telling that story. I, I legitimately, not a lot of things make me mad. And I loved American Sniper. It was, I thought it was a brilliant performance from Bradley Cooper. I thought it was one of Clint's best directed films. How did they let that happen? I just don't wonder. I, 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 I know, I know the story. I know, I know that there was supposed to be a baby there, but like, how do you not just? But wait see, that's the story that ended up coming day. out. I I moderated a Q and A 
with I'm sorry, who's the actress that plays uh, his wife in the movie? Sienna Miller. Oh. Yeah. Yes, Samuel. and uh, and this was before, like a couple of weeks before the movie came out, and people ha- hadn't really started talking about the baby scene yet. And someone asked her about that, and she said it was because Clint Eastwood just doesn't like working with babies. That, okay. That's an initial story that and, I heard as well. And then all of a sudden, it turned into this like, oh, there was supposed to be a baby, and then it turned into right. a better story. But yeah. the initial story I was told, which I'm starting to think really was the truth, I and then so Warner too. Brothers kind of spent right. it, is he just didn't want a baby on, and based on but all it, the other stories you hear about Clint Eastwood on set, where like he raps early so he can go golfing, it kind of fits in with what we've heard about Clint Eastwood as a director. It's like Gabe was rapping early tonight so he can go see Shazam and not do his job. It's like, that's the perfect analogy, Kevin. <laughs> one of the things that's fascinating, though, I, I do wonder, though, has Brad, like, what was Bradley Cooper, what was he thinking? It's cool, I'll get an Oscar for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah. It, it is such a massive problem. It's Our entire theater scene. started, I will never forget that. Our entire theater started laughing. In the middle of this me. very serious film, the theater started laughing. I'm sorry. If I had to be honest, I didn't spot it. Until it became a thing, I didn't see it. Oh, I, I saw it. Honestly, like that. to Sean's point, I didn't spot it the first time either. So no. I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I actually did not even notice no. it until, until, until it became a back. thing. Yeah. 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 Until yeah. You're right. Thing. Yeah. All right. So way. I uh, was able to speak with Anthony Russo uh, last week. No one cares. On the, on the telephone. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. It's not <laughs> Joe. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who cares? And, the uh, lesser Russo, you mean? Because yeah, by the way, they're both like equally awesome. Oh, of course, like, they're so geniuses. Cool. Also, yeah. th- this was one of those interviews. So the the point being, the tickets for um, Avengers Endgame are on sale as of April second, and um, so so go get them now. <laughs> and it was one of those deals where, like, after I got off the phone with him, uh, we did twenty five minutes, and I was started shaking because I realized like that he helped direct like three of my favorite not the just greatest. marvel movies but but movies like like yep. true movies and i yep. but they're so the two of them are so unassuming like i still think anthony russo could walk through a shopping mall yep. and no one would know who he is which and is they're cool staggering they're just like they're like hilariously cool dudes so yes. you guys have both interviewed them before i'm getting them for the first time on friday and i've never or saturday nice. and i've never met them before i'm i'm ex- insane they are they, i i love Sean's word unassuming like you're talking about guys that do not appear to be filmmakers. And I don't know if that is the right term to say, but like they they don't come across like it's different. It's hard to explain what I'm saying, but when they walk in, it's like they're like two of your best friends. You well, know what I mean? I, like I some directors give you, can be cold. Yeah, I'm going to give you a, a quick rundown of things I learned from Anthony Russo just to fill you guys in. But it's going to speak to a lot of what Kevin's saying right now. Um, I got the fact that the movie is three hours and two minutes. That's has since come out uh, since we spoke to him. They never considered an intermission. There was never any truth to the rumor that they were going to do an intermission. Uh, according to them, the subtitle they always considered was Endgame. That's the th- that's the, in their been their mind. The two brothers has been in their mind the entire time. Um, I asked him about the fact that Infinity War, despite the fact that it has a cliffhanger, still works as its own movie, and they've even described it just as this happens to be the movie where the bad guy wins. So when I asked him, um, when Endgame comes out, will it be the second half of a longer story or does it actually work as its own film in addition? And the way that he answered it speaks exactly what Kevin's saying. He said, when we first joined the MCU, we joined it midstream. 
and um, several people have directed before us and more people will direct after us. And it's very important for us to always remember that you're going to get new people coming to the story all the time. And the movie that they're sitting down to watch has to work as a movie. Um, and we can't fill it with all these references to things that people might not know. You know, we got to serve the story and we got to serve the character. But he said, we, this is from television. We do, we learn this from television also. Like every season has to start with a, a starting point of you might be picking up new audience members. I found that really fascinating, just the way that they approach it. Um, I asked them how they felt about the reaction to Captain Marvel and the fact that it's being successful, knowing that she was going to be such a big part of their movie. Carol Danvers is a big part of their movie. And what he told me blew my mind. They shot Infinity War and Endgame essentially back to back years ago, like th- two to three years ago now at this point. And when they started shooting Endgame, they cast Brie Larson. If you guys remember, she came out on stage at, at Comic-Con and was introduced, but it wasn't yet confirmed that Carol Danvers was even going to get her own movie. Like they just said to Marvel, we need Carol Danvers in our movie so even if they didn't do the Captain Marvel movie, they were going to have her in Endgame anyway. And they said, we can't, like, we could, we, the, the impact or the effect of Captain Marvel does not affect Endgame at all because we shot that stuff so long ago. Like, it was just, that's how long ago it took place, which I found fascinating because they can't control when all these movies get released. It's just kind of been like a happy accidents of, because I said, that happened with you guys with Wakanda also, like, you used Wakanda as a huge set piece for the end of Infinity War, but you didn't know the Black Panther was going to be a huge hit. And he said, no, but we at least introduced Chadwick in Civil War, so we had some grasp of the type of character he was going to be. But it's just fascinating to listen to them break down their approach so to storytelling. So did she shoot Endgame before her own movie? Yes. I think she. Yeah, I think she did reshoots. They did reshoots. I don't know. See, from what I understand is that they shot the films back to back, but then they had to stop Endgame production so they could go finish Infinity War editing wise, open it. And then they went back, from what I understand, back to Atlanta, right? And yeah. Or wherever they were, parts of L.A. And then that's when they would finish what they needed to finish on the Endgame side of things. So I don't, they didn't finish these movies or this movie but they did go back and like f- film more things. I don't know if they were reshoots. I think they just filmed more things. Because gotcha. when Joe and Anthony came in to my, it's funny. Joe and Anthony have come into my studio three times: once uh, for Winter Soldier, once for Civil War, and once for Endgame or Infinity War. <laughs> um, and they have always been super awesome. But I remember Joe telling me, or it was Joe or Anthony told me when I sat down before that we went on camera. Had they finished shooting Endgame? And he goes, no, we have to go back in September to finish shooting that movie. Now, this remember, this was like April or May of of the year of Infinity War, which was 2018. Yeah. So from what I understood from what he told me is that they still had to shoot scenes. Like they weren't reshooting scenes. They were still shooting the movie. Gotcha. But they, they had to break because they had to finish Infinity War. Because, Sean, they, it was always going to be two films, right? But it was yes. originally going to be part one, part two. Correct. Yes. Originally. And yeah. I guess in the middle of it, they realized, oh, okay, we actually have a separate film here, right? Well, and when we went to the set for Infinity War, we interviewed Marcus and McFeely, the screenwriters, and we asked them, do you legitimately know when the movie's going to split? And at the time, they didn't, because um, they were treating it like one giant story. Ooh. And there have been people who have said in interviews that they've filmed stuff that hasn't been shown yet, um, so they might... 
you know, they, they, they think they shot Endgame stuff because at the time on the set, people didn't always know what they were filming, whether it was going to be an Infinity War scene or an Endgame scene. And in fact, I, I know in some of the press for Infinity War... It happened in my interview. Well, characters like Sebastian Stan and... Yeah. Um, they talked about, like, I, I know, uh, I think Evangelina Lilly, Evangelina Lilly or Sebastian Stan said, yeah, the, my, my favorite scene, uh, you know, a day on set was I'm shooting this scene and I'm, I'm next to Michelle Pfeiffer and, and Michael Douglas and everyone's in costume and we're all. And then I was like, well, that didn't happen in Infinity War, <laughs> you know, so yeah. is this going to happen in Endgame or what? what's the deal? So, um, But one of the things that I find fascinating about you know, the end game press, like Jake and I are going to be interviewing the Russos without obviously seeing the film. Um, Jake, you're going to love these guys so much. So we, I, I'm hoping but it's interesting we, though. Cause it's, it's, it's a little bit of like, what are we, go- I mean, I, I have 10,000 questions, but I, a lot of them are sort of infinity war questions that we wouldn't have gotten to ask because for infinity war, we, you, you know, you didn't see the film either. Yeah. So that's what I, so here's what I've always done. Like, and like, and, over the past couple of years, Jake and Sean and I have done different press types of things for Episode 7, Episode 8, Star Wars, uh, Infinity War, films like that. All films we didn't see before we did press. So I always treated, like I treat my Episode 8 interviews for Star Wars were my Episode 7 questions. Like there were things mm. I wanted to ask in Episode 7, but I hadn't seen Episode 7 yet. So, but we hadn't seen Episode 8 when we sat down with with uh, with everybody from that film. So how could we answer, what could we ask? I always resort to trailer questions. I ask a lot about the trailers because the trailers are there visually and you can, and you can point to them and ask questions about them. But, you know, I remember talking to the Russos for Infinity War and asking about why we weren't seeing like Jeremy Renner in the, in the, um, in the marketing yeah, I was like, are we gonna find? Are we gonna find that out in Infinity War? And obviously, we didn't. But now we're finding out more about him now. So, it's All fascinating. Right. Um, you guys are gonna see. Is that right? Are you going to? The I didn't know that. I haven't heard that either. Yeah, is that new? How about we talk about that off the air? Oh, okay, great. <laughs> Gabe, you have a lot of editing to do on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you can leave that in if you want to, but uh, yeah, I'll tell you guys about that after. All right. Anyway, so um, this week in movies. Uh, who saw Best of Enemies? I, I saw Best of Enemies. How is it? It's fine. Okay. I liked it. I, yeah. I, I thought I thought Sam Rockwell was incredible. He's gotta um, stop doing that though. The the racist with a heart of gold. Was He's, that uh well when else did he play that type of character? Was that he won, a, he won an Oscar for it? Oh yeah, three billboards. But I mean, they're different characters though. Come on. They're that's I mean, they're, I understand, they're, I understand they're similar saying, enough the within a short amount of time to make you go. Mm, I don't know. I, I, to me, it's one of those films that when people ask me, like, oh, is it good? I always say, did you see the trailer? And they say yes. And I go, did you like the trailer? And they either say yes or no. And I go, then that's what your reaction is going to be. Because it's exactly best, what's best in the yeah. trailer. It was fine. I thought Best of okay. Enemies was, was, a, was a decent film that had I, – I learned a lot about certain things I didn't know about, which I won't go into. I mean, it's not a spoiler, but there's a lot of things that happen historically in that film. Uh, what's that word, Jake, the, that they use for the council meeting? Racism. No, <laughs> no, the, uh, the, the thing they use for the whole, the council that they, it's like a charat, I think oh, is the name a of it. Oh, charade? I didn't yeah, know what yeah. that was. That was I know what that word was. I, I learned a lot, I learned a lot from the movie. I thought it was, I thought Taraji was great. I thought she was amazing, actually. She disappeared in that role, in my opinion. Um, nice. I think Best of Enemies is a fine film. It's solid. It's not, it's not mind-blowingly great, but Rockwell and Taraji are very good in it. I, I, I would recommend it. You guys are going to Pet Cemetery on Friday, correct? 
Yes. Yeah, because we're both together. Press screenings because we've got to go to uh, L.A. Yeah, Jake it, and I, Jake, Jake, maybe you and I could take over the Real Blend account that night, and uh, and and uh, it'd be like, nice <laughs> as two of the members of Real Blend to actually be able to tweet from the Real Blend account, which apparently yeah. everyone else can except yeah. Jake and Kevin. I gave Kalina permission to tweet from the Real Blend account. <laughs> pictures. Um, it's great. Pet Cemetery is really good. Um, people who don't know the book, Stephen King actually calls it his scariest book. Um, and it's the one that he felt the most uncomfortable about publishing. Um, he put it in a desk drawer after he finished it and he thought, I think that's too mean to put out. And, um, he law, uh, ended one of his publishing contracts and he owed them one more book and he pulled the manuscript for Pet Cemetery out of the drawer and showed it to one of his editors at the time and was like, do you think I can give him this one to complete the contract? And the guy said, yeah, you can definitely do that. Uh, you know, punch this up, punch that up. And it got released. And so I went back to revisit it because I read it in elementary school probably when I was going through a big King phase and I reread it to get ready for the movie and I forgot how just dark and sad it is. And especially now coming back from a perspective of being a father and having kids, like it's it's gruesome. And this movie does not shy away from embracing everything that makes Pet Cemetery difficult, which is when you lose a child – um, what would you do to bring the child back for even just a little bit of time? And even if you know, because you've already buried the cat there and the cat doesn't come back right, uh, do you want to put your kid there too? And it's just, we were talking about this earlier. There's an existing pet cemetery. It's dated. It worked fine for the time, um, but it needed an upgrade. And this is a good, good upgrade. I liked it a lot. Um, I'll knock Jason Clark slightly. Uh, cause I don't, he doesn't give as good of a performance as I wanted from that character. Cause the father's a very complicated character. And I think Jason Clark missed some opportunities, but everybody else in the cast is really good. So you guys should definitely check it out. I can't wait to see it. And Jake and I are going to go Friday because we are in LA together and we have a free night. Uh, and we'll probably do our, Jake and I have been doing these things called geek out dinners for many, many years. And so we'll probably do a geek out dinner for our Rooster Brothers interview. And then we, 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 we got to do this. We have to do this. This makes me very sad. I want to be there. Uh, Shazam. We all have talked about Shazam, talked about how much we liked Shazam. Uh, We absolutely recommend going to see Shazam. And we have an exclusive interview that we could throw to right now where Kevin at the Shazam Junket got to sit down with David Sandberg and Peter Safran. Kevin, just give us a setup. What were they like? How did this come together? Yeah, it was awesome. I I love this film so much. So, you know, being at that at that. Sometimes you're at a movie junket and you just feel like excited to be there because the movie is so great where you feel like you're get to be a part of the press for it. You know what I mean? And Shazam was so well done in regards to tone. Um, and I, I sat down with David and Peter. So basically I did the junket. I interviewed Zach Levi one-on-one and then it was Asher Angel and Jack Dylan Grazer. Uh, they were together and then Mark Strong was by himself. Uh, and then I waited about 30 minutes and then went into a special like separate room, I guess, with... David F. Sandberg and Peter Safran uh, for 30 minutes. And I sat down. It was funny because I had my like podcast mic with me. I was recording their audio on my podcast mic, my audio on my cell phone. Um, so Gabe magically edited it all together uh, from the audio. And oddly enough, I didn't know this, that David F. Sandberg's wife was sitting right across from me the entire interview. Uh, I went, I walked in, I said, hi, but I didn't know, I thought she was maybe his publicist or someone who was just watching the interview to make sure that we didn't like spoil anything. Uh, but then it turns out it was his wife and she's like, super nice. And she's actually, I believe in the film. And I think in the podcast interview you're about to hear, 
they talk about the scene she's in, I believe. If not, um, you'll hear about it in other in other news. So nice. Well, then here's our interview. All right, sing. Sing. Yeah, we <laughs> actually we do that on our podcast. It's yeah. actually pretty funny. All right, well, first of all, congratulations to both you guys. Um, Thank you. I'm very fascinated by the tone you struck in this film. I was just talking to you about this. You actually find horror. You find comedy. Uh, there's a boardroom scene that was straight up out of an R-rated horror film that I thought was like incredibly well done. PG-13. But it felt R-rated. <laughs> and I was curious, can you talk about the, the tone? Because I think you've navigated almost an impossible tone here. I don't know how you did it. Well, thank you. I mean, it is. I took a lot of inspiration from movies that I grew up with, you know, from the 80s and, you know, Amber movies and stuff like that, that I think have both the humor, the drama, and some scary parts as well, which I think is necessary for to make the movie feel complete. But also, it's necessary to, to set up, you know, when the, the kids get threatened at the end, you believe that threat because you've seen... Uh, what it can do so uh, it's to me it's just what, what you need to do to have that complete uh, film and, and the studio yeah. gave David complete freedom with the tone they really embraced exactly what he wanted to do with the movie yeah. and so everything you see is really reflective of the way David came into it and the way he worked with Henry Gaden mm. to develop the screenplay what you see is exactly what was in David's mind and what he pitched right from the get go so it always was intended to have truth scary jeopardy, real humor, and the essential heart that the movie has. Those those were elements that existed from the get-go. And the brilliance about it is you're dealing with these outer outer-worldly elements, yet the movie feels beyond grounded and intimate yeah. at the same time. Um, as from a producing standpoint and directing standpoint, you still pull off, in my opinion, R-rated elements in regards to violence, in, re- in regards to action sequences, but you do it in a PG-13 way. Um, is that something like you, like, because it feels real. Like, it feels like you're, you're, not, you're, you're not seeing somebody edit something. It feels like you're actually watching a villain do something horrible, but in a way where it works in the 13. you talk about that balance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think even my horror... Uh, background sort of lead, like I'm not into like gore yeah. necessarily and things like that so even my first horror movie Lights Out was PG-13 even though it was it quite scary it yeah yeah so uh, I, I think it's probably partly just because I stay away from a lot of too much gore and stuff and it's more like what's implied and, and just the mood of it mm. and from a producing standpoint PG-13 obviously is the way you want to go with this type of film but like you, you there, it's, it, it doesn't feel like you're editing anything it's true. I mean, I think we always had in mind, obviously, of course, it would be PG-13 and that it would be a film that, you know, younger audiences could see as well. Uh, but it was essential that we created real jeopardy and that we established early on that the threat of Savannah and the sins was a real threat so that when the uh, kids faced them later on, you knew that there was a possibility that people could really die. Now, I, I loved the way you, the, the documentary style filmmaking you used in the strength tests, like the, like the shots. There's like this one cool shot in the trailer where Zachary jumps up into the building and then you zoom up to him real quick. Yeah, yeah. I love Freddie shooting it all for I YouTube. I love yeah. that. Yeah, so I was just t- talking about the, uh, the cinematography, uh, getting that docu style, because especially during the, all the strength tests, like it's, it's from his perspective, but it was shot really well. Was it handheld? Did you just like. Yeah. Kind of off the cuff zooms, and it's cool how you did it. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's all handheld um, mostly when when it's like Freddie filming it, and um, yeah, just to make it feel like what kids would shoot and and put up on YouTube, you know, um, because that's such it's a, that's what makes this 
hero unique you know that it is that, that like it's not an adult who's like oh shit I have this burden and this responsibility it's like a kid who's like holy shit I'm a superhero I can do this and this and this and of course if that happened in the real world they, they'd shoot it and put it up on YouTube and, and do all these things David embraced his background of only about two or three years ago where he actually was making movies when like I was that YouTube, <laughs> so, yes. so it really was not a, a big stretch for him to do those sequences yeah. yeah now the suit to me is amazing because obviously with technology you could have gone CG but you didn't and I think the practicality of the light on the bulb and everything like that. And I'm just curious, from a director of photography standpoint, how the lighting of that helped you light your scenes? Because that, that to me was fascinating to see the light on his face from the suit. And how did that kind of go into play with the way your DP shot and also the way they lit their sequences? Yeah, I mean, it, that, that super that presented quite a challenge yeah. in that it would mouth because we did, we did want to shoot it practically with an actual light, not just in the, the bolt, but in his gauntlet as well. So we had to be all wired up and, and it's all remote. And yeah, for the DP, it, it, you know, we had to make it adjustable and it's all huh. remotely controlled because, you know, in daylight scene, it needs to be much brighter. In night scenes, it needs to be less. Uh, and it would often malfunction <laughs> early on. So sometimes, you know, you'd be in the middle of the scene and it would either turn off or it would go to full brightness in a night scene. And it's like, ah, oh, cut, and you had to do it again. And it was like, why did we even do this? <laughs> but then you see the footage of it and you see, like, you know, when he's rising up through smoke and you get that interaction with the light and the actual smoke. And it's like, all right, this is why we did This actually makes it worth it, you know. I do have a filmmaking question, though, because I'm very curious. Like, the, the shots where, like, a uh, Asher will turn into Zach. Yeah. Um, there's a great one at the carnival where the smoke goes, and it happens in, like, one shot. Yeah. Are you using the smoke as, like, a stitch? To, it's yes. so cool how you pull that off. Yeah, and that, that's a great thing because it's a lightning strike, and a lightning strike, you get a, ah. a couple of frames of just white where you can hide any edits, you know, so, so we didn't have to do it with motion control like mm -hmm. we, we could just do uh, use a, a regular like you know techno crane and just move the camera back at about the same speed and then have them walking at the about the same pace and, and w which helped us a lot because doing it with like motion control would have been a nightmare and it was still tough to do but it was it, but, it, but it worked beautifully yeah. And for both of you, I, I think one thing you do brilliantly here is you balance soundtrack and score really well. Because uh, you see a lot of films that are either soundtrack heavy or a lot of films that are very score heavy, and you're dealing with both here in a, in a beautiful way. And I'm wondering, for a composer, when you have soundtrack songs in a movie that are very heavily used, yeah. how influenced is he by the music you're using to make it interweave all together in, in, a, in a tone? It stayed kind of separate, mm. you know, like he didn't know all the songs that we were, Benjamin Wallfish, our composer, like he didn't know all the songs that we were going to use. So he was just more focused on the, the score, really. Um, but I think he really loved it because I was like, you know, I want old school superhero, like John Williams type thing. And like, just go crazy with that and, and just keep, you know, he, he was free to just... Um, tap into that and make it really big which was what was like he wanted to go to London to record it you know with the whole orchestra there at once rather than in the previous movies where we've sort of you record the string section and then you record whatever else section you know uh, but here it was all at once to get that big full old school superhero sound 
you know, I, I noticed a pattern a little bit, obviously, with with uh, you, and obviously you worked with James Gunn before. Like these, the filmmakers who kind of there's a horror element to their background, and they jump into this superhero world. And what do you, what is it about filmmakers who have worked in a horror setting that you find works so well in a uh, superhero environment? Because Lights Out was brilliant. This is amazing. James did like stuff like Slither and things like that, and sure. then he ends up doing Guardians, and it's sure. awesome. And James Wan, obviously, yeah. you know, with his with his progression. Uh, first of all, I think that genre filmmakers do not get their due for the quality of filmmakers that they actually are. I think these guys that make great scary movies are not recognized sometimes as the great filmmakers that they are because it's a genre that doesn't get enough respect. But it is incredibly difficult to make an original and compelling uh, scary movie. And I think what these guys do so well is they create characters early on yeah. that you actually care about so that when they are confronting the evil or whatever it is they're confronting later on, you care about them. David did the exact same thing in this film where you really care about Billy, you care about the the foster kids, you care about the family, so that ultimately when they're going through what they're going through later on, you actually are leaning into uh, the story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's one of the great things they do. What they also do is blend the great balance of horror and jeopardy with lightness. You know, and that's what makes a great scary movie sometimes is the ability to take mm-hmm. your foot off the gas and let there be a moment of levity before you then ratchet it back up. And so it's something that, you know, that they're really able to do in a, in a tremendous fashion. And, you know, I'm, if you don't mind, can I ask you, do you have a, can you mention anything about Suicide Squad 2? Can you talk, I know you're working on that one and James is working on that and obviously the news of James coming back to Guardians 3, like, what are your thoughts on all this? Uh, I know you get to discuss that, but like, you know, it's Suicide no, listen, Squad 2. I, I, yeah. I, will, I will say this, I think it is another, you know, I've said this before, I think, you know, Wonder Woman really put DC on the right track. I think Aquaman was a great step forward. I think Shazam is the natural progression and yeah. truly original superhero film. There's never been one with a tone like this. Um, And I feel like when you look at what DC has coming up with, you know, Birds of Prey, Joker, uh, Batman, Suicide Squad, I think it really shows an incredible uh, sense of DC getting its mojo back in a big way. And I think, you know, Suicide Squad is going to be a big part of that. I mean, you know, who better than James Gunn to take a group of, uh, you know, uh, dysfunctional individuals and send them on a mission together. Well, you're talking to someone who's a huge DC fan. I'm a big Zack Snyder fan, so I've always yeah. been a fan of them. I mean, Man of Steel, up until now, I, I love the DC right. films, so I always have been a fan of them. Um, one thing I love about your filmmaking here is, you know, Zack is obviously perfect for the role, but Asher and him, it, there, it, there's something magical about what happens between those two performances. Do yeah. you show each of them their dailies so they can work on, like, how their mannerisms might match up? No, we ha- we had them meet early on, uh, and even during auditions, we actually had uh, um, Asher read some of uh, uh, sax scenes and vice versa, just to get oh, the cool. feel of yeah, uh, just to get the feel of you know what they actually felt like when were, when they were doing the same scenes. Um, but uh, w- once we were shooting, it felt like we we had it down by then. Um, but it, it, it's interesting as well how they, they sort of get different challenges in the movie because Sack gets more of the fun, you know, like, holy shit, I'm a hero moments, yeah. while uh, Asher has to deal with some of the more emotional stuff because, you know, because of the thing with him looking for his mom and being a foster kid and that, you know, so it, 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 it all adds to, to a very rich character uh, because you get two different actors actually 
contributing contributing to the same character. Can I ask him? I don't know. I, I was so fascinated with how you did the sequences where he gets shot, um, like in his face, and like the like the, the almost like there's like I know it's yeah. CG. No, that was done for real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that no, was one that was practical. Yeah, we'll have him do it. Yeah. Which, by the way, that scared me so much when when Jack goes, let's let's try it. How do you know your yeah. face will work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was great. But I'm curious how you got those imprints. Was that did you get have like an air gun or something like that? Or that, that is CGI. But I think wow. what sells it really is Zach's performance. Yeah. Like he's. You know, you can really feel like he's getting hit by things, and then you know, you just have to enhance, yeah, little uh, uh, dimples or whatever. David you call can't it. say this about himself, but the truth is, and this really is the truth. David Art directed the indentate every single indentation in the VFX wow. review sessions where he was, he literally was like, "Go a little deeper here, go a little shallow here, move it." No, no, yeah. every single one, and I think that's what makes a great filmmaker is, you know, guys like David, guys like James Wan, every frame counts. And they really do art direct and make sure that everything is working exactly as they want it to be, or at least they push it as hard as they can till they ultimately, you know, the film gets pulled out of their cold, dead fingers. But <laughs> yeah. but it really was. Every, I love that you noticed how well those were done because I sat in a room with David saying, no, 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 I need to go a little deeper here. Move this one to the left. And there's some like, red yeah. that shows yeah. up too a little bit. Like there's like a, almost like a red imprint a little yeah. bit. Like, I was watching it super closely. It was cool. Well, well one problem we had with, with that was that you know the VFX guys were since they had the bullets in there they wanted to actually see them but then it felt like well they're not bouncing yeah. off fast enough like it, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't see every bullet because you wouldn't in real life like yeah. it has to be that in the last six months David has spent more time with Mike Wassel our VFX uh, supervisor than he has with Lotta his wife there's, there's <laughs> yes. no there's no doubt about that yeah, yeah. but it was worth it one of the things I love about this film is watching the fight scenes between him and Mark in midair are amazing. It, it kind of brought me back to a little bit like how Snyder kind of did the Man of Steel stuff yeah. in the city. It was like so docu style. Like I felt like I was, I felt like I was someone had a camera and they were just following them through the midair. It was like really well done. Yeah, um, you, you have to add a lot of little camera shakes yeah. to feel like the air rushing by. And how did you like achieve that. the movement though? I mean, obviously they're not really flying clearly, but my, 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 like they're on wires. They spend a lot though. of times in yeah, what's called tuning fork rig which huh. is uh, a pretty recent uh, invention sure. like it's not the old school just hanging someone on wires because they're on a rig that you know, kind of resembles a tuning fork oh. which enables people to spin around like do barrel rolls and gives a lot of free movement so we had a great stunt team that you know Kyle Gardner who worked on, uh, on Aquaman, on Aquaman they, they really, as well they perfected this during Aquaman and then we took a lot of that technology to Shazam, to Shazam. Oh, and they were on and wires. And we built these rigs. Right? The That's exactly right. And, and uh, you know, we, the, the actors spent a lot of time harnessed up there with the pick points at their waist, being moved around and being pushed around by guys in blue suits. Yeah, they're basically puppeteered. Yeah. Like, it's a, a wow. puppet performance where they're, you know, have to play along with what, what these guys are doing, with how they're spinning them around. And, and you need a lot of core strength. Because, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I tried one of those rigs. And, uh, yeah. Is there footage of this? Sure. Yeah, yeah. on my phone. Please, uh, please release this. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm fascinated by, there's a lot of moments in the movie, as you mentioned, uh, that Jack is filming the strength tests or the yeah. moment, obviously, in the convenience store with the bullets. Um, does Jack actually still shoot those for real on a phone? Or, or is, yeah, is yeah. any of his... Is DP work in the film? No. <laughs> Whenever we would shoot stuff like that, yeah, he would actually shoot it on his phone, but then we shoot it with the proper cameras just to get the full-on quality. It. Because we even tried like putting a, a video filter on top of that stuff, uh -huh. but it was like 
it sort of took away from because you want to see like you know what we did with the visual effects and the practical effects and and, and things like that you know when we go into uh, Jack's room for the first time he opens up the drawer and we see like he's collecting certain elements of Superman Batman Batarang um, if I walked into your childhood room and opened up a drawer what, what, what were you collecting as kids like what was in your drawers a lot of comics um, mm. yeah not, not just uh, like Superman and Batman Spider-Man I was a huge fan of as a kid but also you're you know a lot of Donald Duck comics. <laughs> that was, uh, it, it's very big in Scandinavia where I'm from, uh, Donald Duck. You? Any, what was in your room? You know, I didn't, no memorabilia, but a lot of comic books, a lot of, you know, Tintin, a lot of Asterix. Cool. Uh, European comics. That, yeah. uh, that, exactly. That's exactly. Awesome. Um, I think one of the beauties of this movie is the layered villain. Um, because you see, you get a lot of black and white in regards to villains, like, you know, and, and the way you start the movie, I won't give anything away specifically, but we are connected to him and we understand yeah. why he's doing what he's doing. Um, Mark Strong is just one of the best actors working today. Yeah. I was curious about the, the approach that you did. Uh, if we could discuss maybe at all about how you opened the film, kind of, we're kind of going into his story first. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just as important to set up the villain as it is to set up your your, your main character, you know, to, to give them motivation and, and, you know, to give the audience an understanding of why this character turned out the way he did and what sort of separates him from, from the good guy, you know? Yeah. Can I ask you guys about how you shot the bus sequence? And, I, and this is since it's in the trailer. Um, I just am fascinated by the VFX on that, especially the people who fall into the windows, and then you have him. So, um, can you want me to feel like maybe like how you shot that practically, and then what V well, like like what obviously how it turned out is VFX? But we bought a bunch of buses, actual <laughs> buses. We built a part of that uh, overpass. Freeway, overpass bridge. And uh, again, our, our physical effects team were amazing because they built this whole rig where, you know, not only did we drive the bus through this railing, but this rig would sort of tilt the whole bus. Oh, cool. So yeah. it, 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 you know, that that's those guys falling through the bus. They're actually falling there was through a, the bus. There was a big hinge wheel. mechanism yeah. on, on there that could take it from horizontal to vertical. Uh, the, the real bus and then David had all the actors on descenders so they were at the back of the bus and they were dropped yeah. into the front so it, it was remarkably practical for a superhero movie these days which are so filled with VFX there was a lot of really practical stuff that went into that sequence I think Jack's performance is brilliant I mean, there's something yeah, about the yeah. emotion of that character that I just found myself connecting to because I was bullied as a kid. Um, he was the one that I was kind of like found myself more in than anybody else, but only because just from a personal level, that's the character I related to. Um, but the bullying thing is fascinating to me because especially when, when Asher sticks up for um, Jack and that sequence with the truck, um, I was curious about the bullying aspect of it, what that meant for you to put that in there, have that play out, um, see a character go through something like that because a lot of people deal with that in their lives. Lives. Yeah, I mean, I dealt with it myself yeah. as a kid being bullied, you know, not in that physical way like here. But, yeah. uh, I mean, it, it's something that, unfortunately, a, a lot of kids go through, and especially kids who are kind of, you know, not a part of the, the main group, perhaps. Um, but th that was a great thing in this movie to be able to show that sort of functional foster home that's actually yeah. happy, you know, not, not have the typical... You know, the evil foster parents or the bad foster homes, but actually felt show a loving family that works very well together and that looks out for each other. And, um, you know, 
stands up to, to bullies. Producing something like, like and having a scene like that, it seems like that in a movie, um, obviously it's going to touch a lot of people mm-hmm. in regards to, so, you know, when you sit back and this movie's fully entertaining, but that, that's a message that people are going to take home with them. As a producer, do you, do you think about what the conversations would be like in the car with the families when they leave? From the early days, we always felt that the family was so important yeah. to this movie. And the message of this movie was something that really made me want to get involved with it you know, from the get-go, was the idea that family really is about bond and not just about blood, and that you can find family in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. There wasn't just one definition of family. So, you know, it was always super important, and I think that, you know, David and the rest of the team delivered so beautifully in the film itself. Again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's come out in that manner, and that I think everybody that sees this movie can find a character, at least, to relate to and, and, and feel like that was them at that age. I watch a lot of movies, so I look for continuity. And I want to give you props and credit for some of the co- like the most incredible continuity I've ever seen. Because <laughs> you didn't have to do it, but you did it. Like, for example, um, when Jack's character gets hit by the car and it, and it kind of puts that scratch in the truck, the next time that truck comes back, the scratch is still there. Right. Which, you know, sometimes in movies you don't, not, it's not going to be there. And then all, obviously there's like a sequence where Zack's nose gets bloodied. And later on, we go back to him, and it's still bloodied. So is continuity something that you're just, like, super intuitive on? I mean, some filmmakers just miss it sometimes. Yes, and to be honest, there are moments in this movie where I'm like, oh, we, we missed that yeah. thing. But those two but, were caught out, caught out to me. Yeah, I they were no, awesome. no you, you do your best to, to really feel like it is for real, like, and it is one continuous piece. Because you have so many moving parts. That's why I always find continuity so interesting to me because filmmakers will shoot one scene on one day and go back a month later and shoot another scene. And you have to make sure that every single thing lines up still. Yeah. Even the scratch on the car, the truck, I was like, that's still there. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, make sure that no one went and cut their hair or anything. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to just match things. But, and, and that's interesting as well just because when you're shooting with young kids like this, a lot happens just from the start of the shoot to the end of the yeah. shoot. And people grow and there was even from the very last stuff we shot we even had to put uh, Zach on a bit of an apple box just because Jack had grown so much <laughs> and like Zach's like I don't know 6'4 six, six, four four. or yeah. something so he had never had to stand on anything before but we had to do that here just to, to match that so I was doing a lot of research and I know this is probably something you guys have been asked about before but I still it still blows my mind that Captain Marvel Captain Marvel Shazam the character name thing like it's just such a fascinating history of what happened with that so there's a moment a line in the film where someone says you're almost as cool as Superman was that yeah. kind of a nod to the copyright things that happened like back in the day and like you know I was wondering well, what, not really through the copyright but I mean uh, Captain Marvel when you know when he was known as that was at one time more popular than Superman yeah. in America and then he's sort of fallen to the wayside which is why it's so fun for us to be able to introduce this character yeah. to a lot of people to, who, who are not familiar with it but uh, was that interesting to you as a producer to have a film coming out in the same year as another movie called Captain Marvel I, I was, you know I think it was an interesting you know quirky thing yeah. uh, but it was never it was never really kind of a factor it was never something that we were really thinking about it just was odd that within a month after all these years with neither one of them existing yeah. <laughs> to have two of them in, in, in one month it was, was, was crazy wild it yeah. was wild um, one thing I would love about the filmmaking here is 
specifically the hyperspeed sequences. Um, I know you're using CG clearly to make him look the fast, but I'm wondering at the beginning of the run and the end of the run, what you tell him to do. Like, do you have him start it and then stop and then finish it? Like, how do you do that as a filmmaker? Yeah, you, you have to have him initiate it and then stop. And oftentimes we would have someone with a little wind machine to give a little puff <laughs> of, to, so the cape would move. Uh, but it's interesting, one of the simpler ones in what is when he's in Darla's room and he runs over to her because that's oh, yeah. almost oh, an yeah. in-camera effect because he, he just, he stood at one end of the room, he starts running, we whip the camera over and then we just place him at the end, whip the camera over again and we hide a cut in there and oh. just add a little bit of blur for a couple of frames. So it's like a, a super simple effect. But it's it's very effective because he's faster than the camera can move. I thought it was done to great effect in the carnival tent with Darla yes. a couple of times with, with the way she ended up with the way she ended her move. Was, yeah. was, was, was she really sold it well? Yeah, and again, you you have that puff of wind, you know, in the hair and the cape that that really sells it. Yeah, and uh, I mentioned the sequence when he jumps up into the building um, as a as a practical filmmaking moment. Um, obviously, how do you eventually erase? Zach, and then put the CG Shazam into the shot, like like because it's all one shot. How it happens? I'm a big filmmaker. It's kind of the same. I mean, whenever you do a whip pan in a movie, you can get away with a lot. <laughs> so in that jumping sequence, he would just he would jump, but not get very far. <laughs> but the camera does a whip pan oh, yeah. and sort of just finds the the CG version of him going into the building. If you somehow hypothetically had to make Shazam for the budget of Lights Out. How would you? How would you? How would you have done it? It would be Billy recounting his tales, <laughs> and then this happened, and then this happened, because that would basically be the only way to do it. I think. Yeah. You know, since you started in this business, you've uh, your career is incredible. I was looking at your filmography, everything you've been a part of. Um, what well, in recent years? No, I mean, dude, you've had you have some great yeah. films on your resume. I'm not just saying that because we're sitting here, but looking back at the start of when you started in this business to now. I mean, obviously the technology has changed a lot, but what is the biggest thing you're noticing in regards to cinema these days that you, know, that you didn't see back then? Obviously we're shooting digitally now and things like that, but what did you see back then? You know, I'll tell you, I, I really don't think it's changed that dramatically because the goal back then, just as it is today, just as it was 50 years ago, it's just finding good stories that you want to tell. Yeah. And, and you know, you find a great story and you figure out the best way to bring it to the screen at the budget at which it's available to you. Um, so I don't, I don't feel like there's, it's changed dramatically. You know, it's, the goal's always been to work with the best filmmakers you can possibly find because it is a filmmaker-driven medium. And, you know, when you have David Sandberg or James Wan or James Gunn at the helm, you've got a lot better shot at delivering a great movie than, than if you don't. This is not a question I normally ask, but since we have a longer form, um, I know sequel becomes a big topic after you make a movie like this. And I want one personally because I think this is one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. I think it's just brilliant. I, don't, I still don't get how you found the tone, but you did it. <laughs> I, want, I can't wait to see it again. Um, do you have an idea? Like, do you know where you want to go? If, if I, mean, I think this is going to be very successful in my personal opinion. So I'm like, what, do you have an idea yet of what you want to do? I mean, we've just been focused on, on the, making yeah. this movie the best that it can be. But it, certainly there's a lot of places you could go with it, especially now, you know, how the film develops and how where the characters ultimately end up. There's certainly more you could do with it. If you do a sequel, can you just add an extra exclamation point? You don't even need to do two. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third two, two. is... I like that idea. That be, I like that idea. I want that. On the, yeah. I want, that'd be an awesome pose. You don't even need to call it Shazam 2. Just go... It's a great yeah. idea. Two yeah. little things. Um, lightning, specifically on the set. Um, do you get any practical lighting effects to actually get that jolt on set yeah. for the actors? Yeah, you have a big light that we call the 
paparazzi light <laughs> because it's like a big flash basically um, that, that, that we keep nearby and then uh, it's quite powerful so it's like okay we're gonna don't look into it now then we're gonna run it you know mm. uh, but yeah you need that to really sell the effect because uh, it's not as doesn't look as convincing if yeah, you, the, you have to have interactive lighting on set to really sell the idea like and to allow well the interactive lighting from the big paparazzi flash in order to, to then do whatever you do with the visual effects if you have that interactive lighting that is reflecting off everybody's you know clothing wardrobe set it becomes a lot easier in post did you yeah, shoot and even, oh, sorry. yeah we shot uh, but, but even when like shooting lightning out of his hands we would have these yeah. they look like half ping pong balls in the palm of his hands oh. to, to really to again get interactive lightning um uh, what about Jack's hand when he's like when he's first like interacting with the that's all light coming from the bolt like we cool. w when we did that we just turn up the dial on the, the, the bolt itself and then that interacts with the hand does that get hot for Zach though like the, the, the light itself uh, he, he wished because <laughs> he was freezing yeah. out yeah. in the Toronto winter yeah. you know um yeah, that suit was never comfortable for him. It was either too cold when we were outside or too hot when we were inside. What you want people to take away from this movie? Obviously, there's a lot in this film, but, you know, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, what do you hope? You know, I hope they really do recognize, you know, what we've said earlier about the importance of family and the idea that family is where you find it, you know, that it's not just about uh, blood and that, you know, non-traditional families uh, are out there and they work and they're great. Um, and I want people to, you know, recognize and respond to the fact that we've made a film with such an original tone. There really has never been a superhero movie that has this particular tone. And, uh, you know, David threaded that, the eye of the very small needle in a beautiful fashion in order to make that happen. I've never seen tone like this in a movie, so congratulations. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you guys you. so much. So that was David F. Sandberg and Peter Safran, the team behind Shazam. We absolutely recommend you guys go and check that movie out this week in addition to Pet Cemetery, and um, of course grab your tickets to Avengers Endgame because they are now available as of April 2nd. One thing about Shazam, uh, I think we all can agree on this, the tone in that film is incredible. I don't understand how he found this tone and, and a lot of what you heard David talk about in that interview in the idea of, think about that movie, you guys have all seen it, that movie jumps from legitimate horror like there is actual horror elements in that film, scary stuff, like the stuff down uh, in the, uh, whatever you call it, the lair. Um, yeah, where the wizard is, is. The wizard is. It's really scary. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's some, like, like Ghostbusters type scary stuff. Remember the, remember like the, the, the That's creatures? a good, that's a good comparison. That's what it reminded me of. Where it's like, it's a family film, but also isn't afraid to treat the kids like adults. In, in the yeah. sense that, like, look, we're going to have some really fun elements too, but the fun elements are weighted by yeah. this, this very real sense of danger. And yeah. I, I think I think that Ghostbusters comparison is is perfect in the sense that like yeah there as a kid maybe there's some moments where you hid your you know like hid your eyes as a kid but you could still your parents were still okay with you watching it but it was so I, it, it, it's just impossible to strike that tone like what he did by weaving in and out of horror comedy drama is it impossible or we have we just not seen hard. it in a long time I just feel it's like just to hard. me that's such like an, that was such an eighties thing yeah and I feel like we we kind of veered away from that. So, and, and, you know, and, and these days, the word that people use to describe it is Amblin. It's got that Amblin, Amblin it's feel to it. It's such a catchphrase. Everyone says, oh, yeah. it's like that Amblin, but it's never like the Amblin movies, but this one is. <laughs> this one actually this one, is. 
Yeah, and it actually really has is. a really good heart to it, and I think a lot of people are going to be. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a. I mean, to me personally, the bullying theme I thought was really strong. I thought the um, the the foster care system theme yeah. of the movie was really strong. There's a lot of great. I, I saw someone tweeted a, a story the other day about um, a group a group of foster children who were taken to go see that, and it really kind of like gave me pause and made me realize like, really how important this movie is going to be. Uh, to to that organization and and uh, I mean it really it drives home this idea of of what the word family means and how it has yeah. very little to do with who shares your biological DNA and and more about uh, sort of the deeper connections of that word and uh, it's really it's if you think about it it's something that really hasn't been touched on in other superhero movies before um, nope and and there were there's there's a moment in the film I won't give it away but there's a moment near the end where just like legit as uh, legit uh tears in the eyes yeah. just because i was like wow like well, they, they, I it was an earned moment two things about that there are still some big surprises that are not out yet huge which huge. is great i love yeah. that that they're not out yet and so you know try to avoid from here on out whatever marketing that may still come because there's the trailers one. do not represent the movie in my opinion i think the right. film is much better than the trailers yeah much and better i put than the trailers. casting of zachary levy that's to me he's up there with jackman as wolverine uh, Downey as Tony Stark. Like sometimes they just nail it, and he is perfect. Like he's just okay. perfect. I need this settled because I've. Is it Levy or Levi? I've been Levi. saying Levi. Thank Levi? you. Levi. You've been saying every time you say Levy, I'm like, am I saying it wrong? Well, like Levi? last night, Lauren and I had this debate last night. We were like, is it Levi or Levy or Levy or Levy, whatever it is. I think it's Levi. Yeah, it's, well, the only reason I know it's Levi is because I um, hosted an event with him here in Chicago, and before I got in front of 400 people and said his name wrong, I double-checked with Warner Brothers to make sure, and they and I was told it's Levi like the jeans. Oh, that's good to know, because I've been pronouncing it Lipschitz, and it's not <laughs> where what? I thought the, the Z was silent. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't, know. I don't I understand don't know. that reference. <laughs> I don't either. That's the funny part. I feel about like that. like the the, the the gif of see what happens uh, when we don't have game. <laughs> yeah, the, the gif of Captain America just popped up in my mind where he goes, "I understood that I reference." Understand that reference. <laughs> and it was, I don't understand that. I reference. don't understand that. that, that reference. I, I saw a big don't just pop in there. This week's blend game is hashtag trailer blend, where we are going to tell you our favorite movie trailers of all time and why. And Jake, I've been told that you get to go first. Ooh. Revealing your favorite movie trailer ever. You know, the, the whole point of a movie trailer is to get you psyched for a movie. Yes. And, and there have been lots of, of trailers that have made me want to see a film. But a lot of times, especially these days, we see a trailer already wanting to see a film. And so at that point, then I'm looking for something different. Then I'm looking for like a feeling. I'm looking for an emotion. Which is why, and I normally don't like picking recent things when picking my mm. favorites, but it's the one I kept going back to, and I'm going to pick the very first teaser for Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh, and it really- It's so good. That it just, it captured yeah. something that I didn't even know I had lost. Yeah. I remember yes. the feeling of seeing the, my dad, uh, you know, when I as a kid- um, when Star Wars, uh, uh, the special editions were coming out before Phantom Menace, they were coming out, I think one came out in January, one came out in February, and one came out in March. 
And I remember, you know, all these like uh, commercials and all these uh, marketing tie-ins kind of started coming out. I remember ask, asking my dad, hey, dad, what's Star Wars? I think I may have been like six or seven at the time. And it was almost as if he'd waited his entire life for that question. I'll never forget. He like <laughs> turned, almost like turned around in slow motion and was like, we're going. <laughs> and I remember, and I, I remember that feeling of, and he took me to each one each month as they came out. Um, and, and just like, and then I just immersed myself and just like got, got the, the, the trilogy on, on VHS. And then I got, uh, you know, started buying all the toys and started buying all the books. And that was just this, it was just this amazing feeling that then I kind of forgot about. And even when like the prequels came out, I didn't really, like I was older and I was like into it and stuff, but like it didn't bring back that feeling. And that first time when, uh, you hear the voiceover of Snoke and he says like the darkness and then it goes to black for a moment. He goes, and the light. And yeah. the music swells, and just, I'm getting chills talking about it. the Falcon. And then just just so for a good. moment, we see the yep. Falcon and, oh. the, and the Tie Fighters, and it cuts to black. Yep. And it, it gave me. I'm seriously. I'm getting chills talking about. Yeah. It. Is that the one when the the, the screen started and John Boyega pops? Yeah, up yeah, John, yeah. John that Boyega, was yeah. awesome, man. And, that was like, such just a great like it, it gave me. It made me feel that way that I felt when I was a kid. And it was it made me feel a way that I had forgotten I even felt about. Well, and, and I'll tell you, there's a shot in that trailer too with the stormtroopers. They're all loaded on the cargo ship of whatever, and it oh, looked uh, uh, the the, de- the down thing. Yeah, like the thing is de- the doors down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but it's kind of like a handheld jiggly. Um, you know, it's dark and you see them. They're oh, all yeah. lined up and it's moving. And that shot to me was I, I've never seen a handheld shot in a Star Wars movie. They're all just static cams that are boring shot. And I thought, oh my God, wait, someone's going to take the Star Wars universe and make it look cool and different. Like we're going to actually I- I- experience it, you know, from someone else's point of view. And it, be, it got still, so exciting. I still do not understand people's negativity towards Force Awakens. I think I thought it was brilliant. We, we, we can get into that another time, but sure. going back to that shot you're referring to, um, is that the same moment from the beginning of the film? I, I always thought this scene, this scene was so epic when Kylo stops the, uh, yes. um, well, uh, it's the, from a the, different the, shot. In fact, I don't even know if the shot from the trailer even makes scene. it into the movie. Oh, maybe it does. Cause it's such a bad, yeah. Everybody, they just land and they come storming. Right. Cause this is, this is the whole beginning when we see yeah. Oscar Isaac and, 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 uh, and, um, uh, like he's running. Who's Adam in that Driver. scene with him? Who's Adam the Driver? actor? No, no, the actor that's across from Oscar at the beginning. The guy from The Exorcist, wasn't that? Um, oh, uh, who am I thinking? I don't know who you're talking about. He, he yeah, was in Extremely um, Loud, Incredibly Close. Yes, uh, he Max Fonzito. Max Fonzito. Yes. He's Max right across Fonsito. from Oscar Isaac, and it's yeah, like yeah. It, it was an awesome. That's yeah. that well, whole and that's, sequence. That's is still amazing. the funniest line. Like when he says, "Who talks first? Do I talk first? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's just that's, funny. That's a good use of humor." In yeah. a Star Wars movie, yeah, and BB-8's intro, not the not the last, Jedi not the intro. your mom joke. Yeah, I know. Listen, I'm gonna defend Last Jedi. All right, I get to go next. Great choice, Jake. By the way, that was, I actually that was an unexpectedly choice. awesome choice. Yeah, um, I'm gonna give a shout out to the unreleased uh, Spider-Man World Trade Center trailer, which we've discussed on the show a couple of times, but I Ooh, didn't click one. it because yeah. it, it didn't get released. Um, and Jake, you bring up this point with trailers. I had to pick something fairly modern just because trailers have just gotten better. Like if you go back and mm-hmm. look at old marketing, they were traditional yeah. marketing trailers. They they show yeah. the majority of the movie um, and they're not trying to do things creative and clever in a way to sell you or hide things. So that that technique uh, is, is relatively new. Right. And so um, from that one, I'm going to go with the one that truly blew my mind, which was the first Cloverfield trailer. 
that was that, oh, that was my second choice. Yes, yeah. well done. I'll Which, never forget remember, that. Remember, we, we thought it was just one eighteen oh eight. Yeah. Oh, is that what they called it? Yeah, because it was my yeah. birthday. Because that was because they, they just put the release date, and I remember right, being yeah. in the theater for Transformers, going, "That's my birthday." Everything that about that awesome. trailer works so well. Um, it starts off as a because uh, at that point reality TV was really starting to come on, so people were just getting used to. Handheld jiggly camera following around uh, very attractive twenty somethings. Um, it was uh, what was the what was the show on MTV? Uh, the that was like the house in, in every Real city. World? Was that what it was? Real world. Real world. Yeah, yeah. Real world. Whatever. So it felt like something like that, right? And even just the timing of the jokes, like someone says to T.J. Miller, like. What are you going to do without him? He's your best bud. And then he turns, he says, what am I going to do with you after you're gone? He's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm your best bud. Like every line sort of mattered. And then it changes and becomes the monster movie, which is great. That's a, that's just a great bait and switch. But, yeah. but, but what seals it is that it's not just like carnage at the end, but it's the head of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Like when the head of the oh Statue my God. of Liberty oh my God. Oh my God. down the street. And you're just like, that's a game changer. Like, that's yeah. a teaser. Yeah, and, and I, I remember love that movie. one of the things that, that when it great. cuts to black and says from J.J. Abrams, who was kind of at the peak of his lost fame right then. So at yeah. that moment, and then yes. I, do you remember all of the theories and the, like the fan sites and like the oh all this? Because I mean, we didn't even know what Slush the movie was. Oh, and all that bro, stuff. Yeah. So much there, and then there was a uh, there was even th- like speaking of Lost, there was a time when people thought like, is it a Lost movie? Where like, is this what the extension of Lost is? Where it's gonna be the monster getting right. up? There was so much stuff because it was J.J. Abrams. It really was. It was and, a great movie. Too. Great and pick. it landed great at a pick. it landed at a time too when the internet was it was twenty two thousand eight, right? And we weren't saturated with you know blogs and and yeah. everybody covering every frame of everything. Yeah. It was still just like, what is this movie? That came what out uh, with Transformers. And like, it, it was just, it was, I remember, uh, I was, uh, cause I went and saw Transformers with a group of my friends and like, I was covering film by that point. Oh, and yeah. when the trailer was over, you know, by that point, my friends kind of assumed I knew all the trailers and had seen all the tra- And all my friends leaned over and they're like, Jake, what is that movie? And I remember looking at them going, I have no idea. I have <laughs> awesome. no idea what that movie is, which so was great. awesome. It was a yeah. great feeling. That's awesome. It was, that right. was like a return, to, a return to form of like like being kids again. That's what it felt like. Yeah, hundred percent. When you see a trailer experience. for the first time, I think feel like that, the three of us are chasing that all the time. And wasn't that whole yeah. movie <laughs> shot by the actors, or like theoretically shot by the actors? I think it was. It was all DP'd by the characters. But like, I wondered. I always wondered who the DP on that film was because if every actor was carrying, or no, maybe the point of view shot. That the actor oh. is shooting wasn't the real actor shooting it. It's probably the DP Wait a as second. the POV. Do you know who the director of Cloverfield is? And now I have Matt to look Reeves. this up. It's fucking Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's a genius? Yeah, man, Matt Reeves. Dude, that was like that, that. That's the reason why I was so excited about Let the Right One, Let the Right One In remake. Yeah, I didn't want Let the Right. I didn't want Let the Right One In to be remade because the Swedish version was so good. It's so. Uh, good. When I saw Reeves was on it, I'm like. Okay, I'm yeah. all in. <laughs> then he made two uh, incredible Planet of the Apes movies, and now he's going to yeah. reinvent the Batman. No big deal. Yeah. Just Matt Reeves. No, yeah, Matt Reeves. as one does. Uh, all right, Kevin, you're up. Uh, so I kind of cheated on mine, actually. Oh, come on. Uh, I didn't choose a full trailer. I chose two teasers. Okay. Um, so that's that's my cheat, um, is that I've, I've, I have I've didn't go with a full two-and-a-half-minute trailer. I went with two, like, Jake, minute, are we going to allow 30. this? It depends it's, on what the choice is. It's already it's happening. Is Game it approved. Bill volume one and volume two teasers. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> no. Right, so the first, one, the first one was a moment in my life where I was truly 
blown away by this experience. Two teasers and, for two movies. <laughs> and it was genuinely one of the greatest moments of my life. And it was the teaser when we got the Aladdin teaser at the Grammys this year, uh, when Will, Will Smith was introduced as the genie. And I was just so blown away by it. Yeah, no, okay. life changing. All right. all right, in all honesty. All right, so the two trailers. First one I'm going to go with is Face Off. Um, I've discussed this before, but yes. I think it's the most clever trailer ever. Um, I'll never forget walking through like an AMC, Patrick Henry and Newport News and seeing the poster and it was their two faces split in half and they looked exactly identical, but you could tell it was Cage and Travolta. Um, but the trailer was simple. It was Travolta sitting there talking to the camera uh, as the camera spun around. And as we came back around in the full circle, it was Nick Cage's face with Tra- with Travolta's voice saying, I must become him. Yes. And, and then they, I think they show a quick little flash of some of the scenes from the movie, like the boat, whatever it is. But that was just such a clever concept. And it, it, and it hooked me. But again, also remember, I was, I don't know, I was 14 when that movie came out. That I loved Face Off. Face Off was one of my favorite movies. I read the book. and I, There was a book about Face Off. I read the book for it. Um, I was so mm. obsessed with Face Off. Um, but that trailer to me was just so clever and like it was perfect it was it was exactly what i needed to be excited about the movie and i'll never forget that reveal when it comes back around it's still travolta's voice with cage's face that's that's my number one uh, i love uh, it uh, yeah my number Which two is, is interesting actually, because that one is like that trailer we were just saying how a lot of older trailers are very kind of clunky and square and traditional and kind of like that style of trailer even in the 90s is very reflective of the direction that trailers went like i could see that trailer very yeah. much being released today. Yeah, like a te- that would be a good. It was very, it was very ahead of its time. Yep. Yeah, Face Off was. Uh, I mean, think about if you're John Woo, you're pitching that film. That's a pretty insane pitch that you're gonna have two leading characters switch faces. Yeah. I mean, it's, the whole concept of that movie is wild to me. Uh, my second one is the, what you you mentioned it uh, was the Spider Man Twin Towers trailer. Uh, it's great. Um, I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll never forget the poster being in the lobby at the theater. Um, obviously after 9-11, the trailer was pulled and the posters were pulled and, uh, it was just, but now I, I gotta be honest here and say that New York is my favorite city on earth. Um, the towers meant a lot to me as a kid. I went to the towers with my parents one time. We didn't go up, unfortunately, because the line was too long. My uncle and I sat in between them and looked up and told me the story about Philippe Petit, the guy who tightrope across the two towers. They mm. made man, man on Wire about that eventually. And then, obviously, Zemeckis made the walk. Um, so the towers were a there – was, there was something special to me. So seeing them in that trailer, it's weird. That trailer became what it is for me now because of what happened. If, is that, if that makes sense. You know yeah, what I mean? Like sure. the trailer, yeah. no, that trailer means more to me now because when you saw the trailer ori- originally, it was just Spider-Man swinging between the two towers with the, hel- with the helicopter, right? And the helicopter being caught in the web. And, you know, the towers were just, they were just awesome buildings that were in New York City that everyone loved and they were in every movie, Ghostbusters, every, every movie had the towers in them. Um, but the experience of that trailer after um, was a, mu- a much deeper experience and yep. a more special experience um, that obviously it, and it sucks because it, it, it obviously comes from a horrible tragedy. But that trailer to me is just a cemented version of um, the importance of those towers and how iconic they were to America. And then having one of the greatest superheroes of all time catch the villains in the web right. um, was well, just, you and know, it doesn't show Spider-Man, never show Spider-Man. Right. It's, it looks like a, a crime thriller trailer. Yeah. Um, 
And those buildings are so iconic, New York. Yeah. And every other major superhero. Wait, no, you do see Spider-Man. You see Spider-Man in the trailer. I don't think you did. Yeah, no, you see him shoot his web. Like, it goes into, like, this baseline. And, like, I think it's, uh, I'll have to go back and watch it again. Maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm combining the teaser with the real trailer. You might be combining with the real one. The one I'm referring to specifically is those guys go in the bank, they rob it, they get a helicopter, and then the shot opens wide to the towers with the spider web helicopter and the helicopter. In between and them. then the, the next shot is like a baseline of saying next summer and then it's Spider-Man shooting his web. Watch it again. I'm, I'm almost positive okay. he comes up after that sequence okay. uh, in a very brief like moment. Like Because they, they wouldn't have done, they would have not showed him. I don't well, that, that was my point. Like most other major superheroes are not associated with a location the way that right. Spider-Man yeah. is associated with such a recognizable city and a landmark in that city, which is why I thought it was bold for them to just use the towers and not show. I, I don't think they show Spider-Man, but I don't, I don't remember it 100%. It's right here. Watch. I'll show, I'll show you guys right now. So it basically, it goes from, all right, so there's the towers yeah. and then it's caught in the web and then it goes next summer, then boom, Spider-Man. Then they, then they show him like shoot out the web. You see it? Okay. Here, oh, oh, you guys can't see it. Here, I'll show you. <laughs> this anyway, is great so, for, for an I, audio I podcast. Here, what? what, here, what? Trust us. Pull it Anyways, we're watching, it's, it's watching the trailer right now. Watch. So this is the trailer. Yeah. They, they just caught the guys. The trailer right now. All right, right so right now it. you see the, the, the helicopter in the web. Yeah. Yeah. There's the gorgeous twin towers. And right, then watch. Right. Next, next summer, Slate comes up. Okay. Boom. And then nice. here's Spidey. Right here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, all right. It's Fair super enough. fast, but like it's right. It's right at the yeah. right at the end of the trailer. You briefly see him for like yeah. not even. I don't know. Actually, yeah. you, pretty, you get a pretty good that's look pretty at him. Good. Flying. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, and that was a teaser. Jim Cameron almost made that movie. Instead, I'm glad he made Aquaman. I'm glad Raimi did it though. But that trailer is so special. Um, okay, and here's it's, it's also a great teaser without the story behind it. But it's also it's, but it, it means more, obviously. Here's some audio uh, audience picks, which I think you guys are going to really enjoy. Arthur Mingo says Suicide Squad. Quite possibly An one of the best trailer. yeah. recent trailers. I it's can definitely the best between quality of trailer and quality of film. The biggest gap. Griffin Schiller says Man of Steel's third trailer. I know. I think I know. I what, think the Man of Steel trailers are one. better than the movie. Um, I don't know the, the significance of the third one, but I thought I thought all the Man of Steel trailers were brilliant. I'm going to say one thing, but I know we don't have time to get into this, but I need somebody to please help me convince Sean that the Brightburn trailer, the new one that just got released, is essentially every single shot from Man of Steel. Like, I think it's referential, it. but I don't think it's every single shot. That's watch what I it. say. Like, I think it's watch referential. Watch side by side. There's a moment where he walks up to the house and Diane, instead of Diane Lane walking out, it's Elizabeth Banks walking out. Like uh, the, the, the bullies at school. Like there's there's literally. It's, I don't understand how. And even the font in the trailer, the slates that come up in the in the in the, in the middle of the trailer from director I didn't even, producer James I didn't Gunn. Even it's think like, the it's font. It's like Nolan like Snyder's because they're both in English. No, how can I, I see the, the similarities? But I just yeah. think you watch Man of Steel too much. This this, this is Kevin screaming plagiarism. I, I love Man of Steel, but come on, that is a, that trailer is very Man of Steel, and not just because the Superman character is very similar to the character in the movie. I mean, I but, think it was supposed to be like a little refer- <sighs> like you're supposed to get that there's obvious references to it, but I don't think it's not like they recreated the exact same. Patrick Watch. Knight says Watchmen. Apparently there's a Watchmen trailer that uses this. Is it the Hopkins. one with the, yeah. 
I don't oh, remember. Oh, the sound of silence. Yeah. Sound of silence is in the movie. Done. Is it? No, I thought it was a. Was it Smashing Pumpkins? Or I th- for some reason, I thought it was Nine Inch Nails. Maybe it's maybe just Smashing Pumpkins. That and, trailer is uh, great, though. Joshua Popkins says uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh. Which is a really great trailer. Now, listen, I had next week's blend game chosen, and this happens to us often now because we I, I said we were going to go back and do Spielberg right after Jake pours his heart out about Jurassic Park. And, and it essentially set up. I still think we can do this one because I had this one already down because I think Kevin can go in a different direction. We're playing hashtag Nick Cage blend next week. Oh. We're playing hashtag Nick Cage blend. And I don't think Kevin d- has to go face off because I think he has other Nick Cage movies that he loves. So stay tuned for that. And also Jake and I have not picked our favorite Nick Cage movies all right. I know of all mine. time. But I'm in Vegas as we speak and may go drink my liver uh, until it explodes. Jake just texted relive. me his. It's Wicker Man. That's an interesting choice, Jake. No, I'm an interesting guy. <laughs> so follow along next week. Play along with hashtag Nick Cage Blend. Uh, in the meantime, go RSVP for our Chicago meetup, which is taking place on Saturday, April 13th. Uh, follow us on social media. We're at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. We also have a uh, account for the show at Real Blend. There is a Discord. Uh, chat that has been set up by people who listen to the show so they can continue to talk movies when we are not talking movies. None of us understand how to sign up for it. We're so I had to ask Sean what Discord was. I'm I'm so old. Yeah, and um, my teenager uh, is on Discord all the time, so I'm going to get him to teach me how to join it, so I can keep up with. Well, what one thing I don't, I someone I saw someone tweeted that like they look at their phone and it's like 210 notifications because people can. And I I'm I'm weirdly anal about like not like not wanting notifications on my phone. I need to like right. have them cleared at all time. So I think that would bother. So that inherently by itself makes me not want to do it because I can't I can't have 210 notifications on my right. phone at all times. So there you go. Jake hates your Discord, guys. Uh, drop guys us. Know, <laughs> do you guys know Nicolas Cage's favorite band of all time? Oh Christ! We don't have we don't Wait. have Gabe to wrap us up. Oh, I know it. I do. I Kevin. I know this one. Okay. It's Nick Cage against the Machine. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, you know what? That's all I need to do. That's that's, that's all I need this week. Thank you, I everyone. Have, I have taken Sean into my world, and I am very happy about this. The fact that your mind just went there, I've done my job. I've done my job. We'll talk to you guys next yeah, week. If your job was to annoy me, then you have. <laughs> done, Kirk. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.